I moved into a frat house with them. We were just like cranking on on the service, the app, and all that. It was like super sketchy, but it was so like I, I it was so enjoyable. Welcome to the Inner Creator with Peter Sue, a podcast dedicated to helping rising creators learn more about the art and business of being a creator and helping you improve your inner game, your confidence, mindset, and emotional well-being. I'm your host, Peter Sue. I'm a former investment banker at Goldman Sachs, turned singer-songwriter, turned content creator here in San Francisco. Today, we're going to talk about how to build an online community, practical tips for getting unstuck, and even what it's like running a boba delivery startup in San Francisco by interviewing Mercury a community building expert and the creator of Picky, a chat startup backed by the earliest investors in Snapchat, Discord, and KakaoTalk. Today, our special guest is Mercury. She's my friend and former coworker at DCM Ventures and the co-founder and creator of Picky, a group chat app for communities based in San Francisco that helps people build deeper and more meaningful bonds through shared hobbies and goals. Before Picky, Mercury founded Sweet A Little, a popular on-demand boba delivery startup in the SF Bay Area and was a venture capital associate at DCM Ventures where we met and got her master's degree in MSc from Stanford. She's extremely sincere as you're, you're gonna find out, creative and resilient and really interesting startup founder who I think I've learned a lot from and that we can all learn a lot from just being creative entrepreneurs. So Mercury's like starting at the beginning, can you tell us a little bit about where you grew up, uh, what that was like, what was your childhood dream as a kid? Yeah, so I was born in China and, you know, I guess we can talk about this. I had Asperger's uh, as a kid, still have. So I um, I got sent away from home at the age of six to um, boarding schools that are you know, better for my development needs. So I've been like basically floating around the world on my own for many, many years, spent most of my time in the USA. Um, and um, so I, I feel like now that we're talking about communities, I noticed that since I'm on my own all the time, I just have this like intuition of like constantly building, finding group of people to hang out with wherever I end up. Um, and childhood dream was like completely unrelated. I wanted to be a detective uh, for the longest time. I love reading detective books and stories, um, probably like somewhere along the lines of like curiosity. Uh, it is a little bit dark for a child, I would say. Sometimes, like the murder scenes and all that. But my dream has been um, detective, and in the most recent years, it has become like stand-up comedian. Um, but that's yeah. Can we, can we ask you to break us off a joke real quick? <laughs> like this is like this is not the not the day, but um, but um, yeah. Hopefully, like I'm just like okay. I need to go to open mics to embarrass myself. Um, soon to start my journey there. <laughs> awesome. So it's a detective to stand-up comedian <laughs> turned uh, VC turned startup founder. Like I, I actually did a, um, it was on my bucket list to do a stand-up uh, comedy set. And uh, we should go together. Yeah, I know yeah. some good spots in SF. No, I, I ended up going to a few and I, I bombed. Oh, and really? uh, definitely, definitely feels good. I did it. And, and you respect, you respect comedians a lot more after <laughs> Well, can you tell us a little bit more? So you were you were in China, you were in boarding schools, um, and you've been moving around a lot. And then you were in the U.S. I, and then I know like you went to USC. Like, what led you to more of that traditional path that we've talked about that we both have been a part of, like you, I banking, venture capital. Like, what what kind of brought you to that 
phase of your life? It was really simple for me. Like I just wanted a visa. This sounds really stupid, but for me, it it, it was really hard to get like an H one B visa for um, someone like me back then. So I had to figure out the best way to do that. And I think like you know, banking in retrospect was like one of the very few options that would actually sponsor expensive visa for like. Uh, students from Canada. So I was, I moved different countries. I was in Canada before this. Um, so yeah, no, it's like really simple. You know, I wish there's some more glorious answer. It's just like, well, okay, like there are only few jobs like banking consulting that they would put up with like the visa sponsorship. Yeah, that's, I, I have never heard of that as a, a rationale. I, I usually hear money and prestige <laughs> for people that get into finance. <laughs> I, I think oh, it, cool. it, it has something to do with it because like I tried interviewing for some like sales jobs, um, but uh, they didn't, you know, they're more like, oh, like we're commission based and stuff like that. So there wasn't even this option. So it really eliminated like 95% of jobs out there on the market for me. So it was like pretty simple. Okay, like I just got to do this. Well, so you were in banking and, um, you know, I know we have a lot of mutual friends fr from your like the same firm and everything like. And then, and then you joined DCM, which is where we both worked. Um, like, what what got you into VC? You know, like in banking, everyone can do so many different things. Like, yeah. So I feel like that's one of these like subconscious things that lead you to like closer to who you really are, right? So like, I love the creativity like aspect of VC, where you know it's less about numbers it's more about like betting on people very early on you have a lot of opportunity to meet interesting founders who sometimes i like, work on insane problems like uh supersonic like jets or cube satellites or like you know i remember just seeing all these demos of founders like doing weird ass shit and i'm just, like i am in so compared to other path out of banking, you know, like continuing banking or doing private equity, something like like that. It wasn't as compelling as VC where, you know, you're the job itself, I feel like it's not, you know, 100% creative or like 80% creative. But the fact that you just get bombarded with like, you know, um, people and ideas that are just like insane, that's like five to 10 years ahead of the market, that one is that aspect is so rewarding. And I know, like, I don't know, like, I feel like that's something that you enjoy. That's what I heard people saying, like, oh, Peter is like the networking whore. You know, he loves going to South by <laughs> Southwest. I was like, oh, yeah, okay. I, I, I got you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, it's, um, I actually, that's, I always tell people, like, VC was one of the best jobs I've ever had. And I'll, I think I actually want to do it, like, when I'm like down the line, when I have like built some of my own businesses, when you're like, old, oh yeah, and then and then also when I when I feel like I have the actual experience as a entrepreneur to like really help entrepreneurs, because I, I guess the the downside I had when we were in it was uh, I felt like I wasn't, I was gi giving armchair advice, like oh I've seen I've been to so many board meetings and I've seen this pattern, so when you ask me about like how to do your go-to-market after your series B. This is what I've seen from other companies. It, it just felt like... Very and then, and then like, you have all this prestige and, and, and you're, you're supposed to carry yourself like you know everything. And then 
<laughs> but then I felt like I didn't know anything. Hell I was no. Like, like so oh I my felt, God. I was like, I want to get, I want to get that. I actually really respect those entrepreneurs. I want to do what they're doing. Yeah. Same. No, I had no idea what I was doing. And that's like terrifying. And I, I feel like, I feel like maybe that kind of filters people out like us. Because I, I know some other like young junior associates who enter the industry who are on partner track, like they're comfortable kind of like with the ambiguity. I feel like as I'm just making this up, but I feel like as a creator, you kind of have this drive to dig to the bottom of things or like, you know, be more on the ground. Like I really enjoyed touring like company offices and like looking at their prototypes back then. Is that really necessary for um investments i wouldn't say 100 percent necessary but i feel like for me it's like okay it's really important for me to understand like this like how everything works um and i feel uncomfortable giving like you said like advice or anything right like it's more like i stole this idea from this company and i give this to the other company it was very terrifying in my mind and i couldn't um live with myself like long enough for doing that well, I mean, to be fair to our friends in VC, like I, I do know, like there are good people that have s- never been operators, and they're just good investors. Like I think they, they yeah, find exactly. ways to be helpful. Like, yeah, yes, 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 absolutely. I think you know people could also come from like different backgrounds, like non-operating backgrounds. And it, as sad as I am saying this, I think there's like a study quoted that like the non-operator investors have like better returns. Like, you know, outsized returns. <laughs> so, wow, just, I, that I, yeah, I didn't. That's, yeah. that's surprising. Like, I wonder. I wonder it's if from a recent podcast uh, by All In, it, the All In podcast for uh, from uh, Jason Calacanis and Chamas and David Sachs and Dave Friedberg. So, like, Chamas talked about this, and I was like, "Oh my god, huh? you know, interesting." <laughs> and 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 for everybody out there, like, uh, yeah, so we. So I was a few years earlier um, before before Mercury joined DCM, and and it's like a Series A early stage cross border fund. Like I think when I joined, we were managing like two billion. I think when you joined, it was like three. Now it's up to like four billion. <laughs> so like mm-hmm. that that's the background for the audience on kind of that part of our lives um, investing in startups. So like so, Merck, can you tell us like what what led you? from investing in startups you're seeing all these ideas all these founders like what have what got you to make that jump because i think it's it's something that a lot of VC, some vc associates do but but then other people are super risk averse they go straight to b school they 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 go partner track in the vc yeah. route like yeah, yeah what what got you to like push you over that edge yeah okay so again we're just going to be very real so what happened to me there was like once I was sourcing a deal, I was, you know, presenting to the partnership. I really wanted to, them to invest in the deal. I'm not going to mention the company and they did really well. So, so the founder dragged me into one of our like offices. I think back then it was like Carl's office. He sat me down. He's like, you know, you're really talented. Why the fuck are you here? And I'm just like shook. And he's like, you should come work with me. You know, here's what we do to create value in the world. Uh, gave me this whole speech. So he was like, literally, you know, I was pitching his company. I'm hoping that we could invest as a firm. But um, he just sat me down, gave me the speech. I think that really shook me. And 
that's like the beginning of everything, you know, like eventually happening. That was like the beginning of it. I was like, wow, like, you know, you're someone I really respect because I went to their offices. I saw their team is like amazing. Um, and he gave me this whole spiel and I was like, oh my God, uh, you, you're kind of convincing me. I didn't end up joining them. I joined a different startup, but that kind of gave me a glimpse of, wow, like this is someone I respect and he sees the, like the operator back then, right? Operator or like not founder, but he sees the operator in me. I thought I was some, you know, a clueless person floating around, you know, like, um, peddling knowledge that I stole somewhere else. <laughs> but, you know, that's what got me started. Well, wait, wait, okay. So before you joined DCM, like, I know, you know, like there's typical eg exit ops that everyone in finance thinks about, like the go to B school, stay in VC, start. So you're like, like, what did, what were you thinking before you joined DCM? Mm, I actually told them during my interview that I wanted to start a company, but I was also talking out of my ass because I had no idea what that entails. And I just thought it was something vaguely cool as a cool concept in my head. And uh, for background, I've always been like a maker myself. So when I was like three years old, even my parents told me that I was dragging toolboxes around the house and disassembling TV and microwave. <laughs> you know, destroying things and putting them back together with like a lot of excess parts that I don't know how to put back. So I always had this like, I don't know, like this like compulsion to make things. So I create, you know, like I'm a Lego designer casually. Um, I like tinker with things all the time. I have no idea how to translate that into like, you know, doing a startup or like creating a project. But I intuitively know that's like something i wanted to do just like right now i say i want to be a stand-up comedian i don't even have a joke here today right like i'm clearly unprepared but one can dream and you'll eventually get there so well someone someone reminded me um another youtube friend yesterday he was like there's that you might have heard of the ira glass quote like when you start off making stuff you you have good taste it's, it's just that your chops haven't caught up with your taste yet and that's like all the reps. And I'm like, for me, whenever I hear that quote, I'm like, yeah, you're right. You're right. Like, I just got to keep putting in the reps, getting better. Yeah, that's totally true. Well, like, I, I remember a lot time we talked to you, you were talking about how you felt like you in, in finance, investing, like you felt like more, uh, like you were asleep. Um, and then you woke up and and yeah, you can never go back. Like, and in a way, I feel like that resonates a lot with me too. Like, but yeah, can you t tell us in the audience, like, how did you wake up? What, what, like, what got you to join that first startup? What led you to starting Sweet a little and then Picky? Yeah, I feel like it's the feeling of getting in touch with yourself. And this is like where I have a question for you about, like, you know, leaving a, an industry that people consider oh like you're on the fast track then going into music which is something you really love for me it felt like well like now like before that it felt like i'm in touch with 20 percent of actual me right and mm -hmm. then like creating things and actually like doing something 
that is creative makes me feel like, oh, I'm in touch with like 80 percent of me. Like there is still like plenty of room to go. But then I just feel like, oh, I am being me. And I think that's like once you get a taste of like you being fully you or like very much fully you, I, I think that kind of feeling is unbeatable for like any external stuff, whether that's like money or prestige or I don't know, all, all these things. So that's how I feel. I don't know, like what made you like, you know, just like take the uh, leap of faith, you know, just like, hey, I'm going to do music um, from here on. Yeah, the. I think it was like a slow process where. So when I was at banking at Goldman before BC, I, I was writing lyrics on my BlackBerry and I would look at, go to Pandora back when they were big. I would look at their site to see if they had any jobs. Um, and then, and then after Goldman, I was like, okay, I want to at least do something in the music industry. So I, I found a music label in China and then I interned there that summer just to see what it's like at a label. At least some do some, I just cold emailed all these music labels in China and then one of them took me and I was just like their roadie and I just went to shows. And then when I got to DCM, like, and for me, when I was in banking, it's like, you know how it is, right? The first six months for a two-year program, they expect you to, for the audience, like they expect you to basically people come and recruit you because it's usually like the smartest finance people from top colleges. So they, you need to decide in six months what you're going to do for the next, for something two years out. And for me, it's like, okay, if I do mega fun PE, I can make a ton of money and it's like banking part two, like in, and like Merck, you know, this. like, but I was a pretty, I was I'm probably depressed as an investment banker. <laughs> like it, it, that was uh, and then I didn't want part two, even if it was a lot more money and prestige. Um, but VC, I, I just like, like the idea of creating, actually creating businesses and jobs and products instead of like cutting costs to, to, to boost margins and stuff. So. That's broadly where I was thinking. And then when I was in VC and I was like, oh, hopefully it'll give me a little more time to like try things on the side too, like music, um, side hustles. But then, yeah, I got into VC. I was actually enjoying a lot, it a lot and I didn't really have that much time. Um, and then the whole time everyone's asking me what I'm wanting to do. And it's like, I would say, I would say like the stuff I, I think people expected to hear after I'd be like. I want to, I'm thinking about uh, going to B school, um, maybe, maybe staying in VC longer. And then I'd slip in making music for people. <laughs> like I would just slip that in and then it, it, it the truth I, it comes writing. out. And it, yeah. I, so yeah, I would, I would keep writing and then, but then basically it was, I would, I was like writing music like at home, like lyrics and then. I thought of doing being a startup founder too, because I, because like, probably like your experience, I met like Joe from Ren Ren and all these people doing really interesting things, and they were passionate about it, and and I realized the big difference between me and them was like I wasn't doing what I was passionate about, I wasn't taking the risk. Um, but then, yeah, I think it was DCM. They it was like two points. They offered me to stay longer for like the third year potential partner track. That's when. That's when your heart sank and you're like, no, this is not what I want. It was, it was is a that... tough choice. It was a tough choice. It, mm. it was, that wasn't as clear actually. Cause I actually like being there. I enjoyed like what you're saying, like meeting people, finding ways to like connect <laughs> yep, people. Yep. Like I actually really love doing that. Cool. Uh, yeah. 
and it felt it felt really validating as you know like the head partner like kind of it's hard to read him so when he said good job it felt really good it kind of in a weird asian parent way i, like, I think well, there's a lot of i think there's a lot of truth in it like you are really good at this i'm just kind of like providing a objective you know third party perspective i think i still like i think that's just like a innate skill or something you carry that you know like you getting on these podcasts with these interesting people like i think that is like one of the things you are really good and it's useful in so many places in almost all places i would argue yeah thank you yeah thank you like i Actually, one of the most affirming experiences from DCM was, I think before I didn't work with like the head partner that much, like one of the head partners, like, uh, but we went to South by's together and then I think he saw me in action and right after that, <laughs> yeah. that's when they promoted yeah. me. It felt super good because I think I was like, I didn't know exactly how well I was doing. <laughs> like, it just felt good to be seen in that way. Um, but yeah, I, I just kind of knew that I feel super like lucky that you know, I could, I could have the chance to go to Stanford and golf and have drinks at these fancy places. But when I thought about my life being like that forever, it, it just didn't seem like, yeah, the, it didn't seem like the hundred percent life like that, that yeah, you're talking about. And <laughs> then, yeah. Then we become starving artists. <laughs> that was the first milestone and then the second milestone and in quick shout out to anna and professor gold for the for the funny jokes um but yeah second the second marker was like um there was this really hot startup uh turntable fm if you remember them and they got so much they were blowing up and then i had been talking about doing my own startup with like carl and different people just brainstorming and but then uh, one day, one yeah, the head head partner threw it out. It's like, hey, why don't we? Why don't we just give you like a million to seed you to to start like a music tech startup? And I think it was at that point where, and it felt really weird. I was like, I, I should be super happy, but like I feel really heavy. It feels like mm. I'm really tightening up. And then, and then when I thought about it, it's like, oh, it's because if I if me doing a startup at, right now is to be cool and to make money. Like which I try. With yeah, banking. not for the right reasons or for the like you know your true self. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So no, it think, was, and then yeah. when I told my parents that they they were like, <laughs> at first they like, wanted me to go to B school, but then when I told them I wanted to do a startup, and then when I wanted when I told them I wanted to do music instead of the startup, they're like, "Dude, go do the startup, go do the startup." Like, <laughs> they're like, "Your head has some damage. Like, some damage has happened. Like, you know." Yeah. Oh, they, God. Yeah, they they were like, oh, you know, you're you're talented in music, but how how talented are you really? Like, you know, it's the odds are so crazy. And I was like, I was like, I know the odds, but if we, I believe I can do it. And if we disaggregate the data, I think I can do it. And, uh, but I just, I think that the moment I remember is, I just, I was in that little small conference room in the office, and I had a call with another banking friend, and I hung up, and I just felt like super, my intuition was super strong. Like when I thought about music, I definitely felt expansive and I, I didn't know where it would lead, but I was excited. Um, so that got me up to like, yeah, like closer to the hundred percent. Oh, that's, that's such a magical feeling. I, I think it's like, you know, those are the things that like, once you experience once you're like, oh good. You know, like I feel so in touch with my body. Like my mind is in touch with my body. The, 
stars are aligning, right? Even though in the outside world, you know, it's like, well, like, okay, no money or like, you know, no prestige or like super hard, you know, like what if, tons of what ifs. But I think it's like, you know, coming back to the theme of like the inner creator, I think that's like kind of the feeling that like you wouldn't trade anything for. Yeah, yeah. I, I definitely look at that that feeling in that little conference room. Um, like I was really sure, yeah. Like it's not like I had the million dollars in hand, but even the idea of potentially getting seed funding to just go off and do a startup, like I, it was like a very night and day feeling when I thought, I was like, when I thought about that, I was like, when I thought about doing music, I was like, yeah. So I'll definitely- That's so healthy. Yeah. That is so healthy. I- I think like looking back, I really appreciate like sometimes I, I feel like for people who's like a lot older, a lot more accomplished, they say these kind of things just to force the real you out of you. Like, I don't know if all of them do that like consciously all the time, but I do think like a lot of times like you have to put yourself in a situation where you have to choose, right? And it's like real stake like on the line and then where you just know, okay, this is my real thing. Or sometimes you flip a coin, you're like, has this tail this and then you flip has you're like nah nah let's flip again right let's flip again and it's like no you just want tail okay like you just follow in her voice oh yeah i've heard that's a good exercise just flip it and then then you'll and then how you feel about the flip will tell you <laughs> yeah like, like you, you kind of have want. to do it to like force it out right like or i've heard versions like you know get i don't know it's like valentine's day now all the roses are on sale like afterwards like you just pull the petals like yes no yes no the flower's done it's like no you're like now nah, let's get another flower it's like okay you know after like three flowers you're like that's pretty clear what i want <laughs> yeah yeah well for you when you when you realize like you, you you had that meeting with that founder and then he pulled you and he's like, hey, I see you have so much potential to do your own thing or operate, not just invest. Like, yeah, what what led you, like what was the path that led you basically to doing what you're doing today? Like through to Sweet A Little, to Picky. Okay, so this is gonna be a really interesting segue into community because ever since, and by the way, this founder is like very charismatic and he's doing Another startup right now, um, I love what he's doing. It's like has something to do with like streaming content. But anyways, so like he was a very, it was like a savage talk. He's just like, what the fuck are you doing here? You know, at the time he's like, well, you're wasting your talent, all that stuff. So it was like a very energetic, like speech like that. And so it shook me. And then, but I knew at the time that I can't just like uh, come out and do my own thing there's a lot of like legal you know like again like visa like immigration issues you have to solve so i started uh shine act which is a community for immigrants who are currently working at like google facebook or like oracle or whatnot and then the whole purpose of the community is about like converting people from entrepreneurs into entrepreneurs and like providing great, all the that's support that's a good tagline um yeah, so I was like, okay, I kind of need a community. So we, uh, I also had a, like a co-host. So we start, started this thing, um, and like a lot of us are like from China, like or Canada or India, like you know anyone who's like not who's like facing similar challenges. And I brought in um, like law firms, accounting firms, like IP lawyers, just like 
talking about, okay, what are the challenges like that you need to be aware of? Like, okay, what kind of like co-founder you need or board members you need in order to actually do this, you have to have someone hire you even if you're a founder. So like solving a lot of these and then having like hosting hackathon night. It's like, okay, you've never done an app. Like now let's like so-and-so is like right now making the Facebook app, right? Like let's do this hackathon. So we had like half hackathon nights, like having people create like websites, apps. So like just getting everyone very, you know, like, I guess like familiar with like how things could work and then, you know, like work in small groups, like, okay, we're going to do this this week. So we have like lots of activities like that. So like preparing people like, you know, mentally and like legally, I don't know, like accounting wise, all these different things. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, like that's, that's like the, you know, one of the communities that I feel very proud of. Uh, We, I think like I ended up like, mm, recruiting other people to run the community after I had left um, to start my startup journey. But I think like at the time we like pulled 50 people out of these big companies, started their own ventures. And I think people collectively raised more than $300 million worth of like venture capital. And I thought that was like really impactful, including my own, right? Like for me, like I raised money, I came out like, a lot of like complexities, like, but working through these around these. Um, so yeah, no, that's like how, like, you know, there was a ramp, like from the shock, like this founder gave me this talk in the office to eventually coming out. There was like a long ramp of like, I think all these community things that we did together really helped, you know, understanding like what's needed. Did you, did you start Shinek like, um, after DCM or was it a thing you did like on the side for a bit and while, then you kind of made the while jump? While at DCM, while mm-hmm. at DCM. In fact, it was so successful. So I sourced some deals, like I don't think we actually invested, but it was like high quality deals. Again, like the founder being one of them. Um, and it was so cool that like our head partner actually gave us like budget, wanting to become official sponsor for the club. So like DCM as a firm wanting to um, play a role there so it was like all in all really amazing um yeah and later on i think people were um, also doing some like recruiting in the group so like some people they maybe they want to do startups but they don't necessarily want to be founders right so if you're like a really cool engineer or you know tech lead or something you're looking for um people who are starting to join then like it's also like a very good um, place to find people who are like like minded and like do something like make things happen. Hmm. Were you were you scared when you're um so, like you were there for three years, right? Was it was it scary when your third year was up, or were you like I'm ready to like shift gears and? Oh, I I I think it was like when I decided to join the startup that I found. It was like only three early founders, so I was a fourth like co-founder you can say it wasn't my company but i thought it was so cool it's like food delivery very similar to doordash um when i found the team i love them so much and they love me so much it was like pretty abrupt conversation i'm like hey you know i i found this company i really want to join i think despite all the advice against it that's like when i felt like okay i need to do this i really need to do this and yeah so it wasn't like a 
progression of, oh, like three years, two years is up. It's really just like, well, like, okay, I found this team. Um, yeah. Oh, so you left like mid. Oh, it, interesting. So you really had a ton of conviction. Like it was like, I got to do this. And I'm like, I think we work this transition out. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Like, you know, it's like very, I think I am generally pretty impulsive i think a lot of the times like creators right like you have this creative impulse and then you're kind of like impulsive on different dimensions like among different people that is good and bad but i do think that is a superpower so like at the time again like no money right like i moved into a frat house with them we were just like cranking on <laughs> on the service the app and all that it was like super sketchy but it was so like i, I it was so enjoyable like when you're you know, young, you have like tons of energy. You're like not thinking like, again, that was like the real starving founder story. Uh, for the longest time, we didn't pay ourselves anything and raised a little bit of money, paid like very minimal, minimal money. So it was, um, but no, it was a very, it was really fun. Again, like it was very impulsive, but I think being a human is like YOLO, right? You only live once. Uh, you got to indulge your impulse sometimes. I'm the advocate of I know like older people listening are probably cringing, but I, I do think indulging that impulse is not is not always bad. It could be really awesome sometimes. So so looking back, you feel like that that was a good call for you. I think like if you look at financial outcome and like all that stuff, it's not, but then it goes back to like again, the music thing you were talking about in your journey, right? You just know like that's is that what you need? question mark is that what you want a hundred percent a hundred twenty percent so you just got a person so it was like that yeah when i look back on music uh financially it didn't it didn't work out um but then and i didn't i wasn't like i didn't hit my i think my goal of being like a big band like weezer or something but when i look back i'm like even though no nothing like the the external stuff some of it didn't work out I'm like, would I do it again? I'm like, yeah, I definitely do it again, and that's something I right. needed to do in my life. And and I know it's gonna, it's gonna, yeah, it's getting me closer to like 100. percent I, I feel like in VC, I was like maybe 50 percent of who I was, but like the creative aspect, like because I love business, and you know, we we talk about business and stuff, but the creative part, the emotional part, connecting with people, like music, got me like a lot closer to 100, percent even though some other stuff didn't work out. Um, so it's cool to hear that you. With joining the food delivery startup, like Yola, you would still go for it. Yeah, I suspect like that's like the one thing that gets creators going. Like our stories are just like you know, if you extract the meta stories, that's probably you know my my belief is like it happens like to all creators like every single day, like all human beings, right? Like you, you know, one thing that's really awesome that I realized years later is like. If you want to be the number one at something, like only you can be the best at being you. Nobody can ever beat you in that. So that's like something. If, if you're not yourself and trying to pretend to be someone else, you're never be as good as them at being them. It yeah. logically makes sense. It, it wasn't like understood by me, like, you know, but then now understanding that it's like, okay, like, this is insurance. If I want to be the best at something, I need to be myself because that's the only way. There's no other way. How did you, how did you lead into that? Because like, 
being myself has been something I always try to do. And when I first started doing that because of music, like in high school, I felt like I could be myself because of bands like Weezer and stuff. But I mean, I'm, you know, I'm in my thirties. I'm still, I still struggle with being myself. There's like social pressure from family, friends perceived or, or not actually there, but like, you know, for me, it's hard. And I'm sure a lot of listeners are feel that way. Like, how did you? Oh, it is hard. How'd you get closer to uh, twenty from twenty to like fifty to higher? You know, of like who you are. I think, like, first of all, let's just acknowledge that, like, what you just described is like I don't know, like I, I bet ninety nine percent of people face this challenge, and it is terrifying to be yourself, and it, it, I feel like it's probably a gradual process. Right. It's not like it, it just happens overnight. And it just takes many, like maybe like thousands and millions of like little tries of pushing the boundary. Like you push a little bit today and then tomorrow you push a little bit more or like in a different direction. And then over time, your comfort zone just expands. I do think um, that's why I believe like I, I really like. I really like anonymous online platforms like Picky, for example, it's anonymous and like Reddit is anonymous, like because I feel there's a lot of pressure to perform when I'm on Facebook being the actual person. Like people know me, like these are my college friends, these are, you know, family members. But then like in, you know, sometimes like I do these like micro experiments, like I say something really outrageous, like, but really what I think. But then you put it out there already, like people can downvote you to hell or sometimes like people upvote you to heaven. And so like you like, I feel like structuring these like little micro experiments of like more being you like, oh, this is what I actually think It's not PC. But then this is what I actually think. I, I feel like where I could see people getting stuck and certainly where I was stuck is you have this non-PC thought. And you just like, whoa, like, how can I think that way? And you just shut it down, right? That's like the external, like, tyrant, like, shutting you. So you just, then you just miss that opportunity for being yourself mm. or closer to being yourself. Maybe that's like too outrageous of a belief or opinion. But if you don't even push in that direction a little bit, you can't really course correct or like swing back to somewhere in between, right? So I, I yeah, so I'm a huge believer of like, and same thing like with stand-up comedy like maybe you can bomb at like a five people like open mic bar that's like you know the bar is struggling and the bar is not getting much business right so it's like you know i i believe in like constant little experiments to like evolve and then expand into like your own skin yeah and and just a uh, pro tip definitely tip your bartenders because especially at those open mics because they they go through a lot listening to bad jokes <laughs> let me suffering. tell you that. let me <laughs> just tell you that it's I, as a as a guest as a as someone sitting there those are some pretty bad jokes you have to sit there <laughs> so we're good but like for your for the micro step okay so if you if we go back you were you joined the food delivery startup you're in the frat house like what's one other little micro step that you look back on and you're like oh that really got me even closer like you, you took a big step, right? You're like, you joined it, but then what was like the next thing that nudged you? Um, I think it's like you are actually coming from, so like, 
I feel like when you're an investor, you're looking at the company from like, you know, 30,000 feet, like in the sky, right? But then like actually making things just like creator, like you're actually, I don't know, drawing things on paper or on your iPad. It's like very, very like concrete down to earth stuff. So when I first joined, I had to make that huge adjustment because at the beginning, I was like, oh, okay, like I'm just going to hide in this corner and do some sort of analysis. Like, uh, that is not what startups need, right? Like startups need like, you know, things need to go. Like if things are breaking, like you you need to fix it right there. So I remember at the time, like the CEO was like yelling at me, be like, you know, why are you sitting here? Like, why are you not in a delivery car? So I'm like, okay, let me get into the car, you know, deliver some food or like sit in some other like uh, Dasher's car, like just deliver some food. And you just learn so much about that um how life actually works you know as weird as it sounds i think like for people who like you know you you work a desk job like knowledge work intellectual work a lot of times like without being in touch with reality like that there's anxiety there's also you know you missing out on stuff so i think for me the next big adjustment is like physically start doing actual work that was like, okay, you're not like analyzing. Analyzing is like someone is doing something and then you are watching them. You're performing a secondary type of work. It's like a derivative work versus like you're actually like, you know, this with my boba startup, it's like you're actually in the kitchen. Like the fire is about to burn my hair. Like this, I mean, I'm about to burn myself. I'm carrying like a 40 pound uh, pot that's full of boba that's about to spill. It's like scary as shit. And I'm, about to cry you know like it's that kind of like actually doing things making things and you know that that was like a big adjustment but i think that you know, cuts away a lot of the anxiety because you're like very you're just like you know down to earth you have like both feet like firmly on the ground yeah that reminds me of um that i think it's the eleanor roosevelt quote that like Brene brown always talks about it's like uh it's you can be the spectator in the ring or even the emperor giving the thumbs up or whatever, but it's it's different than being the person in the arena, like with the dust in their hands facing down the lion. Like <laughs> I, I definitely totally. felt that too. It's like so being different. a musician, and it, it 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 makes me it made me it makes me feel alive. Um, yeah, it's very yeah. different. <laughs> well, can you tell us like so what what why did you start Sweet a little? And for the audience, Sweet a little. It, it was this boba delivery startup that delivered boba on demand throughout the San Francisco Bay Area, Silicon Valley. And I mean, my startup, we we like would use Sweet a little a lot, and it would make our day. It really oh, did I make did. our days better. And you, I remember, oh you my guys god, I did not know about. Notes. Yeah, yeah. yeah I yep, mean, yep. a lot of you know, I know you guys were, weren't you in like Airbnb and a lot of big offices. We were right? viral. Like, we were viral in the Bay Area. We have, yeah, no, it's it the extent how popular we exist in a lot of companies like meeting notes and recruiting videos as i later learned you know they're like hey join like scale ai this is what we do every afternoon we like jam together there's like tons of sweet a little like drink so it's really funny um and some other companies so i started the company because it was sort of like an episode two to the food delivery um startup that i joined um, company ended up being just acquired hired by Google Shopping Express. Um, mm. it was just burning. There was no 
real business model like at that little scale and then it was like burning too much cash and then it was really hard to sustain so for me i but i still i felt like i had a lot of knowledge about like on-demand delivery and one thing that struck me the most that like i desperately wanted to create the kind of experience is like what got me really to join the food delivery startup was that there were some like old people in bed at the Stanford hospital at the time and their family is not around. And then we were able to deliver hot food to them. And so they're not, you know, eating hospital food or like getting stuff out of the vending machine. That to me, I think that really was something that kind of, you know, it's like, that's the thing that like, if there's like one thing that makes me feel like, oh, there's like, I want to do this. I want to create this experience. That was the thing. Um, mm. And then so for me, like the impact of having something physical, whether that's like food or drinks or some like care package or something like being able to like deliver to a person in need is not about on demand. It's more about like giving that person like a very concrete manifestation of like, hey, like you are seen and you're loved in this world. Like, that was like what I was trying to create with Sweet a Little. And I was like, okay, food is really hard to do as we all know it. How about like uh, drinks or like caffeinated drinks? Like you're getting some good energy for sure, right? Like <laughs> that's what made me start. And also like drinks are a lot easier operationally compared to food. Um, so that kind of, and then I wanted to, you know, take it one step further. So I designed the whole cup to be like a blank canvas. It could be, you know, drawn or like, any little handwritten note or like funny art or whatever can be put onto the cup when when we're making it. So that's what inspired um, Sweet a little. So you you were actually delivering happiness, like you you actually were. Because <laughs> I remember, oh you yeah, told like, me, I, you told me that you you would your uh, baristas would like write a little note and it's personal. Like, and I remember I got a delivery once from someone. Um, I think one of your she was a delivery. Uh, person that she was Japanese, and I think oh Hana, I yeah, we love her. Yeah, I remember mm -hmm. you telling me you you wanted people to showcase their personality, and even when she delivered it to me, yeah. she like bowed, and I and I took the cup, and I was like, yeah. whoa, like a real experience, super like, cute. Con yep. Like 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 Merck was like, this is is real, and um, oh yeah, 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 it, um, totally. I, I like at the time we were it. it it's ridiculous as it sounds, and I've been like mocked by investors who turned me down, like in my face. Uh, we were saying, like, okay, the way we measure our, like, what is the North Star in the company, right? Like, you know, the startup jargon, like, every company has a North Star metric that you pursue. We literally named a metric called Moments of Love delivered so mm. like mol we're like oh one mole so it's like one drink that's like successful if it's not successful like wrong thing or didn't deliver so it's gonna be like subtract so we have like a metric that's called moments of love and i remember pitching investors that's probably naive but i pitching investors like this and that i just remember investors just like well like we have zero investment thesis in investing in moments of love or like what the hell is this you know but then i thought I think, like, in retrospect, like, I probably should pitch it, like, externally have something very boring, concrete, you know, like, very industry standard. But internally, we aligned everything, like, 
operations and branding everything to that like deliver that moment of love to people every time they they get get the dream were were there any investors that actually believed in the the momo like the mole yeah the uh, mole. yeah we had investors i think like those people probably like more believed in us like the team to make it work like they can look beyond what we're saying which is i think like you know a, a sign of like the type of people that you like at least i would want to partner with like you could be ridiculous or you could be quirky i think if they appreciate it or they can look beyond that that's like you know obviously for the people hundreds of people <laughs> turned me down you know like they don't believe in that but there are you i like you just need a few people to believe in you so mm-hmm. well can you take us through like you did the the del- food delivery part one sweet a little was kind of food delivery part two like how did you i guess how did you take what you learned from the first part one into part two because i feel like that's such a huge part of being a creator and entrepreneur like we we learn, we succeed, we make mistakes, we keep iterating, we keep going, we keep improving. Like, and I know you, you've you've done that. So it's, yeah, how, can you take us through a little bit of that? Yeah, I think at the time, a lot of the stuff that I took away was more like very operational stuff, like how to deliver things with efficiency. Because in order to make it work, like you have to like to make people wait for hours is not an option, right? So there's like a very um, heavy operational component of it and since i have done on-demand food delivery before i'm one of these like few people who actually know how like on-demand delivery works which is like extremely challenging operationally and so i took those to sweet a little and we were able to like um break even like profitably like deliver those things and very quickly so like if you're like I remember back then, Airbnb sometimes they would treat their entire engineering team, which is like a hundred something, like ahead of a product launch or at a product launch. We would deliver like hundreds of like on demand, like freshly made boba to them, and that mm-hmm. is within like an hour, like an hour and a half. Like this is not, you know, we don't have any information in advance. That is like in order to pull that off. Like we did so many, like a million small optimizations like building the software and the hardware training our team to actually like make that happen um it i think like you know that's what i took away from like part one which is like okay you know on demand this is how it works well this is just a personal curiosity but do you think like doordash uber eats like are those actually are those models actually sustainable like at scale like because you know everyone says the unit economics are terrible it's like the pennies margin you're squeezing everyone you're squeezing the delivery person that you're squeezing the restaurant like yeah i and do you've lived it like i'm just like how, how, what do you think i think i think there like um i think there is a market right the way i think about and i don't hopefully we're not getting too deep into something that the audience has no interest in um <laughs> I, I feel like with a startup, a lot of times, like it's it's like price exploration, meaning like what is the right price point takes a long time to arrive at, right? Like Uber started as like a black card, every ride is like a hundred, two hundred dollars, and then they swing to the very low end, like ten bucks, you can easily get a ride in San Francisco. Now everything is back to like twenty five bucks. 
So that's like the journey of a startup, like price exploration, I think. And then like failure scenarios would be like you, as you explore the price point, you figure like that just priced out the market. I think with like companies like DoorDash and stuff, like there is definitely a market. The price is just like much higher. Like right now when you order, you can just see like all the service fee, delivery fee, it's like higher. And I would like rather they treat restaurants and drivers right and charge me that price when I do have the need. Because like, is it better for me when I did have COVID for a whole week to have DoorDash? Like, absolutely. And, you know, statistically, people get sick all the time. There's, you know, things happen. So like, I do believe there's, do I want to starve literally in my bed or do I pay like 50 bucks for some like, I don't know, faux like noodles or something like to be over? I, I, I don't have much choice. I need the food to like survive. So I do think, you know, it's just like a matter of like price. And I, I think there's a market. Cool. And, and can you take us through just like, what were, what was your mindset when I know with COVID happened and it, and it basically, you can't deliver uh, people just weren't in person during the shutdown for 2020. And like, can you take us through what, like how that experience was? Um, I know even for me, stopping making music was at times really painful, but I also learned and grew a lot. Um, but yeah, how was that process for you of, of having to pivot because of like, such, like a worldwide pandemic when you're a drink delivery I, I, startup? Yeah. Like, for the audience, I mean, like we had to close down the company, basically. Um, there are many reasons, but COVID definitely being one um, of the reasons why it doesn't make sense because people are remote. Um, it was very devastating for a short period of time. Like, you know, having to do this. I was mostly worried about my team having nowhere to go, but ended up like, I think people found really good places quickly and there's also the pandemic aid so things turned out um okay but i i yeah for me it was like devastating and what was really i remember the day we were shutting down we sent out an email to all customers and we got like so many emails like responding to that newsletter like within the hour saying like you got like emails from like Uber engineers like, hey, like, you know, I'm having to write code at night for free for you guys. Please keep this open or like, oh, my God, this thing has been real. And then we got like a lot of profanities like, fuck, fuck, fuck. This is like the thing that make office life bearable. Why are you gone? Like, da, da. like it was. <laughs> uh, and then, you know, I, I so like I wasn't really crying during the day. Like everything was like shut down. Like, hey, like, let's make sure everything is like done right wrap things up but uh that was like seeing all these emails i think i just found our upstairs conference room i was like oh my god like i'm gonna cry right now you know at, on the day of um but i feel like and i was anticipating my team just like whoa like this is very abrupt and you know we didn't pay like super long severance because it was in a tough spot like we did whatever the best we could um but the whole team just like came up to me like, hey, this has been real. I learned so much here. <laughs> so everything went against my anticipation, mm. most of the things. Um, and that was like what made it really sad and devastating. Um, and then I just spent a few months like at home <laughs> because it was quarantine. 
Uh, oh my gosh. Like lockdown, it, it's like you curfew. shut down and it's literally sh- shelter in place. That's, that's so intense. Yeah. yeah it, it's like literally the day. Oh and then uh, it, it was bad, but I think it, I feel like every time I feel deeply wounded or, or when I'm like in that very sad state, which is rare because I usually like can laugh about things, even if it's like miserable for me. But it was like such deep wounds. I just uh, turned to my bookshelf. There were like tons of books that I never wanted to read or I'm just like, you know, like, whoa, like I don't, I'm not interested. But reading at the time kind of gave me a lot of like, you know, like the off ramp to really process the emotions in the background while I read about like philosophy or a four hour work week. At the, t- at the beginning, when people gifted me that book, I'm like, who the fuck is this guy? Who works four hours a week? That's just like, you know, I don't need that stuff. And I was like, whatever, <laughs> on the bookshelf. Right? Like, I just reject a lot of, you know, concepts and notions. But when I was like, oh my God, I'm like wounded. <laughs> I was like, I need to recover. I'd opened so many of these books and then, you know, start seeing valid points here and there. Um, so that was like a recovery process. It was like painful, but you know, making sure my team, like people have good places to go to, like make intros as I can, um, talk to people, um, to make sure that like, people are taken care of and communicate the heart news with uh, some investors. So it, it, it was difficult, but like you said, like the music, right? Like I'd love to hear, you know, how you got through this, like, you know, the phase of like changing career or changing your path from music. How did yeah. you get through that? Yeah, no, I'm glad you're you're a guest and you're asking me because I feel like because you we worked at the same place and you know kind of that at least the banking tech, VC background like all that lifestyle stuff. Yeah, I haven't really talked about it that publicly, but like basically, it, yeah, d- when you said devastating, that was probably a great, really good word. <laughs> that, that was like, yeah, I think it was like I kind of look back that it and it's it was like a I was like I was in love with music and then we had to break up and and I think I'm still in love with music you know um but in a different way like you're yeah yeah it's but basically like when I look back, it's like I was in LA for five years. I learned how to write songs, learned how to mix records, produce records, plan tours, um, produce albums, perform live. Um, I learned how to like access my subconscious, be more creative, like acknowledge my inner critic and set it aside. And and I met like I made a lot of amazing creative friends that are super inspiring, like comedians. Uh, I met some psychics on the pier, but like comedians, magicians, oh my God. actors, um, singers, like I, all sorts of people. Uh, and it was like, like, it was like, yeah, one of the best times of my life, but it was really painful when it had to end. And it was like a kind of a slow process because just to take the audience through, it's like I went from playing open mics in San Francisco, You you have to like, put your name in at 7.30 and then you get picked and then maybe you're going at 10.30 and you play for five minutes. So I went from that, moved to LA, started playing 30 minutes shows once a month. And then I started 
busking and then playing like three hours at a time every day for like a year and a half. And then I think the things that I like that make me happy that, that were really good experiences were like, I sold out the hotel cafe, which is like a, a big singer songwriter venue in LA where like John Mayer, Katy Perry, she got her start. I recorded at sunset sound, which is like Prince. He recorded purple rain. The beach boys did good vibrations there. The doors did all their records. They're like, I did my Kickstarter, which was like a lesson in vulnerability, putting myself out there, asking for people to donate or pledge money to help me with my art. It was very hard to do. And I did it. And all the love I got from everybody, it, it still feeds me to want to give that love to other people. Like, um, I, I experience how that that kind of cycle works, and um, but yeah, it was. I knew everything kind of led up to making my album, and for like a one to two years, I just visualized my release party, uh, putting the album out, having the music videos, doing a tour, and when I did the release shows, I sold out the venue in LA, I sold out the venue in SF, and then basically, like right after I sold out and did all those things, I was like first thing I thought of was like all the mistakes I made. I was like, oh man, my, my cousin James couldn't get in because it was sold out. I feel so bad. <laughs> oh, this person couldn't get in. Oh, I said this stupid thing on stage. I can't believe I said that. Like, And, and I knew that my, uh, yeah, I, I knew I wasn't going to be like Ed Sheeran, but I think my secret hope was to be really big, but I kind of making it. I was like, okay, I'm not going to be huge, but I was going to put it out there. And even if like a thousand people buy my CD, I'll be super happy. So that was like my like a, a clear metric because I think 90% of bands don't even sell a thousand CDs. And I was basically busking every day in, at the Santa Monica Pier and then people would buy my CDs. Um, But I think ultimately what happened was like, I, I realized that singing wasn't actually something like after I tried to improve singing and I did it for like, every day for three hours for like one to two years. Like I was like, you know, singing actually isn't the thing that like lights me up. It's, it's, it's actually like talking on stage and connecting with people. And then actually when I'm like consulting my musician friends about like the business stuff and how to produce their albums, how to like put it all together and bring the team together. Like those things were more exciting for me. Um, so I realized like singing wasn't like my one thing because I actually met friends where singing literally was like their whole life. Like that's all they did their whole life and they were so good at it and it, that's what lit them up. But for me, it was more like the writing, the business parts of it, bringing people together. Yeah, so I kind of realized, okay, I read The Dip by Seth Godin and I was like, is this a dip? I, is this something I should keep fighting for? And so I, was, I wasn't sure. And at the time I was like running out of savings um, so I started driving for Uber and that was actually really fun. Cause I was talking cause I, I realized well, I like welcome to my gang, like delivering yeah. food. And stuff. I was driving for Uber for a few months <laughs> yeah. to keep the mm -hmm. music dream alive. Um, but I was like, man, I, I, I got burnt out and I was like, I need to take some time off and rethink what I really want, um, in my life. So what, like, I think I drove like the last month of driving, like there was enough that I saved up where I could go to India to do this yoga teacher training. So it was like a month in an ashram. And it's like, I was like, ah, that's what I need. Like I can just meditate, get healthy physically, mentally. And that's basically what happened. Like you, you we meditated for like six, three, six hours a day doing yoga. And after the month, my, 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 my epiphany was like, most people think um, you go to 
India to become a musician, but I went to India and after that I shifted so from music not, to building like, back become to business. The, like, yeah, get out of like being a musician. That is like such a fascinating story. Like, I feel like it's so hard to it's so hard to come to that honesty with yourself, right? Like to because there's always this like inertia of like, okay, I've been doing this, and then there's like an externally installed kind of like trajectory and then being able to like get in touch with your self and like being honest about okay like i think like a lot of it has to do with like recognizing the nuance of what you which part you really enjoy right like it's way too broad to say i enjoy music and then right like there's too many things and then you kind of like become more nuanced and then like okay I enjoy music in this format. And I think like format is like so important because doing something you like in the wrong format also like wears you out. And so, right? Like, by the way, I don't know if you know this. I feel like you knew this back then. You produced so many good music and we were watching you on your like what Facebook like videos. And then we were like, watching together like bunch together at like the office at dcm we're like oh my god like peter Sue got me big and we're like this is awesome like you know what I mean? like we just like keep doing that um so i don't know if you know that but like i feel like i you know i need to bring this up no, thank you, you right? like you know there's a lot of good stuff um and i i don't remember like i remember listening to your song was this like there's like a song called Fish or something like by Clara. I forgot. Like, oh yeah, Clara C. That Fish. you did. Like <laughs> I was playing you like on repeat for like twenty times. I was like, this is so good. You know, it like it touches my soul in some way. So I think like the you know the impact. It's like for me like clothing sweet a little and by the way i was so depressed and so devastated i deleted everything we have online so like now only things remaining are fan posted photos on instagram and like i've heard so many stories of people having sweet a little living in their camera roll so many pictures because every time they get a nice drawing or something they take a picture so there's like their life story of like how they joined airbnb for the first day or like some people becoming Mm. dad for the first day Mm. and like some women becoming a mom is like, hey, draw pregnant me. Like, I'm really happy. So we drew the stick figure, like small stick figure and a big stick figure. Like, hey, this is mom. So like, I think that, okay, even the outcome is like, this is not like what we expected, but the journey is, I never really appreciated the journey, but then like now in retrospect, you know, I like, I do still, sometimes I go to parties, people are like, what? Like, you did sweet a little, oh my God, are you bringing it back? You know, all these things that, uh, all these things and your music, I think, you know, just it, it, like it touched many people. You've produced like some really awesome stuff. And I remember you were in the news for busking on the beach or something yeah, yeah, like that. Yeah, I think Post wrote, wrote me up. That was a nice one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, hey, you know, for all creators, like the, the journey and the impact is like, even if the money wasn't there at the end for that chapter, I think it's just so meaningful and right, like valuable for the for yourself. Yeah, no, it's I think I think subjectively sometimes like it's like it's the story we tell ourselves, right? Like when I'm when I'm feeling negative, then I tell myself I failed. But uh, but if I actually objectively look at it, I'm like, oh, I actually achieved like 
pretty good amount of indie success. Like not many artists can record at Sunset Sound or sell out or play at the Hotel Cafe or sell it out or like do a small US tour, make these music videos, do a Kickstarter, like, and just be better at performing. Like not many people just actively get better at getting on stage and like facing their fears every time. And Oh, you improved and, a lot. I, yeah. Yeah. Like yeah, at no. the very beginning, I like, oh, oh, hey, thumb notes are a little off, I think. <laughs> well, yeah, like, I, I still have some intonation once in a while, but yeah. You're like, you come such a long way. That's why, again, like if you can have like a normal person, like whatever, me just like play you singing like on repeat for the 20th time, you know, I'm just like, wow, like this is amazing. Then, you know, it's funny you, 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 that you bring up the clarity. It's, it's kind of sad, but. I, I unlisted that video because I was like, I was embarrassed by it. It was too, it was, oh, I mean, well, like, it was too, like, um, I felt like it was too, too vulnerable or too emotional. And I, it is I very vulnerable. when I got back that, into VC, I unlisted a lot of those. I, I took down, I took down my Facebook page. It was, it was a rough time. It was a rough time to like get back into business. Um, that's so, so it, like yeah. interesting, relatable because like I told you, right? Like I deleted anything and everything related to Sweet a little. That was like, you know, I think, you know, like as some part of the healing journey at the beginning, especially when you're depressed or devastated, you're just like you kind of have this like tendency to hide, you know, it's like, oh my God, like I just want to hide like certain things and then vulnerability or whatever, like the thing is like, I'm like, well, like maybe this is like too cute, whatever, like doesn't matter. But then that I figure like these are the most valuable things that really touches other people. Those are like the things, you know, it's like as counterintuitive as it sounds. That's like what really that's like the diamond. Yeah, yeah. And I that's something that's like one thing I wish I did better in music was there's definitely things I, a lot of things I would do differently and there's a lot of things I wouldn't do differently, but one of the things I'd change would be, I, I, I felt like with my writing, I would be 90% vulnerable, but I, I never got to like 95 or a hundred where like, you're really just, it's really you on that page or you, you and that lyric. I feel like musically I could put myself in the melody, but in the lyric, I, it, but so now I think I kind of view everything as. I still love music. I didn't. I didn't love making it a career and putting all my financial pressure on it. I still. I still love creating. I still love writing. I still love connecting with people on an emotional level. So I kind of view doing YouTube and this podcast. It's kind of like my phoenix rising. Like yeah, it's yeah me. no, totally. Yeah, I, and and I, and I miss. I also miss the business part when I was always with comedians and. Um, like magicians and actors, it was amazing. And I felt like I could wear a, a tie-dye shirt and you're supposed to wear a tie-dye shirt. It's like not something I have to hide. <laughs> like, and I was like, no. I was encouraged to be my funky, crazy self. And so, yeah, but I missed the business part too. So I feel like YouTube is a kind of like the integration of those uh, creative business. Um, but yeah, that's it, it, it took me quite a while to get to this point because I think for me, it was a huge emotional like hit and process to to kind of learn from. Hey, you know, I, sometimes it's like, hey, if you don't fail big, you're not trying hard enough. I don't know how true that is, but then sometimes I tell myself that it's like, okay, if I bomb really bad at something, you know, it's like that means I'm trying hard. 
Just like self-soothing talk. Well, so so how did you how did you from shutting down sweet a little like how did you move on and grow and then what led to starting picky? Yeah, and so it, it was not intentional at all. So I was just like being a blob at home playing tons of games online and I so like I'm your type of person who is doing community stuff or random stuff on the side for, for free all the time, like on the weekends, you know, I'm playing games or writing wikis for the community anyways. Like, so I was doing that, was playing a lot of games, and then I fell in love with game chat because everyone is at home and there's a pandemic, but then you find a lot of friends it's like all anonymous but then like being in games like i feel like people really connected in a in a very intimate way mm-hmm. during the pandemic so i mm-hmm. i completely fell in love with that like like but also like i guess like when you're playing the game d- depending on what kind of game it is like it's different but the game chats are always like fascinating and i fell in love and then i would uh, say good morning, good night to people. They would say that to me, and then we started like, like whoa, like you would. Uh, one of the games I was playing is like female dating games. Like it's like a casual mobile game that pay to play, really unhealthy. But wait, wait, we you're were, dating? You're dating real people or like a virtual? No, boyfriend? it's like a game of like dress up, and then you play some stories here <laughs> and there. I was so bored. I've tried so many different games, and that was one of them. Wow. And I connected with people there, and then. You know, we just like talk to each other and we had a gaming discord. And so we moved not only like in-game, like we moved our in-game chats into discord. Um, keep chatting everything from life to, to the actual game to like, hey, I'm looking for a weighted blanket. Like, have you guys tried this? Like, you know, does it feel good? And people are like, oh my God, it feels so nice. Someone's hugging you. Here's like the one I got from Amazon last month, you know? I was so touched by that. <laughs> like, okay, you know, um, but uh, I think, so like that's kind of how picky came to be. Like that was like the very early, you know, I really enjoyed people being able to connect on a deep level, on a synchronous and asynchronous level. Because like sometimes like you chat, you do other stuff. You went to like grab some food and then you come back, you continue the conversation. Um so I fell in love with the format of chat and then the connection between people like virtually because then you find out people are in a different time zone in a different country. And like, you know, I apparently now have a few European friends who would let me stay at their houses when I go visit. So you develop real relationships, like friendships. Um, and with Discord, we I tried some bots to like solve some of the I guess like problems like people mentioned like hey like you mentioned this like weighted blanket last month like where can I find it like content preservation um being able to like say something but then it it, it gets like people can dive deeper into a threading so mm. like being able to expand on topic all these features I think Discord has some functionality but it was not very intuitive so um I made some bots or I used some like third party stuff it just kept breaking so i decided me and my co-founder were like oh fuck this we would save more time if we just do an app like standalone 
So we did it without like thinking, oh, this is a company, it's a big pro. Like, it was just like, just hey, we were doing this, you know? Like, like you were solving your own problem and created another chat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So we did that. Um, that's how like it started. And the rest is like kind of, oh, like there's value to other people as well, not just for me, not just for games, right? Like, so, yeah. So it's kind of like you needed a deeper level of chatting that other thing, uh, the, the existing solutions didn't have. So you just made it, made it yourself. The, yeah, I think like making something more simplistic. Uh, I think Discord is very good for, it's like the best chat platform for gamers, like digital gamers. Right now, crypto stuff, like they're integrating a lot of crypto features. But when you try to preserve content, maybe it's a good memory. But like when you're creating the content, you're trying to be, you're not even trying, you're just being spontaneous, but then everything gets lost, right? Like in WhatsApp groups, same thing, like everything gets lost. And then people later on coming in here, they just see 300 like text, you know, there's no summary or like something highlight that makes them, that makes it really easy for them to come in to engage in the conversation. So a lot of these like things that I noticed and I'm like, okay, I think there could be a better format. Yeah, so so in, in community building, like just getting more into that. So uh, after you've studied all these communities, I know you've hosted on like different subreddits, and you've been doing it with Picky. Like, what would your advice be to a creator that wants to start their own community? Like, in terms of what should they think about, like platform, tone. Like, what are the things? There's so many different things to think about, right? Like, what? Where should they start? Yeah, I I would say like. If you look at the birth of these online communities, a lot of times it just starts from one enthusiast, right? Who is willing and wanting to do a little bit more to make the lives easier for people. So it's like, okay, if you're a creator, do you feel that way? Like maybe, let's say you're a um, makeup artist, right? Like you're, you feel like people dig around a lot people are not getting what exactly they need you feel like a community like having a community to share your passion to answer your questions would be really helpful for you as like a member you start from there in terms of format like okay what is the what is the format you're most comfortable with like some people are very comfortable with chat some people are comfortable with like posting right like reddit some people are very into like, again, like anonymous versus real name. Like, if you're very into like, oh, that's my real name, that's my brand, I want everything to tie together. So I think like, it's just, I personally, all the communities I've started are just very organic. Like, mm. there's a need. Mm. Like, for me at a time, oh, like this, again, like, entrepreneurs to entrepreneurs. Like, I was a entrepreneur. I have no idea how to become an actual entrepreneur. Okay, let's, let's, gather some people who's like in the same boat or have like share this like problem let's talk about it let's like do things together because i do think like i think in order to make things happen you have to actually do things mm. and group activities and like whether it's like right like it's really helpful in getting you from point a to point b like actually doing things but then if you're on your own it's hard to consistently move yourself towards from point A to point B, right? Like you need to do things together. So 
for, I would say for creators, if you want a community, it, it's probably not like, oh, I want a community for the sake of it. It's more like, oh, like I feel this way. Like, oh my God, I have problem. Like for me, as embarrassing as it sounds, like I have a problem like brushing my teeth every night. And so I sometimes like hop into one of my communities. I was like, oh my God, like I, I don't want to brush my teeth. And then someone's like, hey, let me kick your butt and go. And then like, you can do this. And then I just end up going and then I brush my teeth. I come back. I'm like, hey, you know, that's, I love that. So I think like any community has needs a purpose to really be valuable. And so like, what is that purpose? That That's probably, you know, the whoever starts that community is just like very clear about this is the purpose. Yeah, because I've, I've and I was telling you a little earlier, like I've tried different like I really love connecting with people, especially like-minded people, especially because I have so many unknowns with being a creator and, you know, most of my IRL friends and family really don't get what being a creator is about and probably being an entrepreneur too. Like, so I've like tried different discords, um, circle groups, uh, WhatsApp threads, weekly Zooms, and some of them and one-on-one, some of them work to, well and some of them don't work as well. Like, but I do, I have been a part of a lot of discords, like to your point, like where someone's like, we're creators, we should just make a community. And then they have a room with like 20 threads on like thumbnail feedback, uh, gear, gear, like all this stuff. And then it's just a ghost town because it's, it was kind of like use, it was like, it wasn't use case first. It was like, like, can, like, like a purpose a unclear. Yeah. Or it's, it's just like an aggregate of things. Yeah. I think like, now that we're talking about this, I think communities probably some there when there's like a common purpose or pain point, right? Like I started one of the communities on Picky Chat is called Shopaholic Anonymous. Uh, I started because I was, you know, short on money during the pandemic, um, and but I online shopping was so it seemed so exciting, compelling. I keep ordering things from like you know amazon lululemon sometimes like oh my god like there's a new lv bag coming can i afford it absolutely not like did i buy yes and then now i'm in trouble like i'm in debt um and i'm like okay i need to curb this like i need to stop right here so i go online i find uh people who have this similar pain point so we started this group and we did a lot of doing together right it's like this month we're gonna swear by like no buy or we're gonna set a very small budget of a hundred dollars you know and then we keep each other honest we do like this like every day like you didn't spend money you're like getting yourself a virtual little sticker like okay like now i'm collecting stickers and then we just have people popping in like hey like today i lost my sticker because i got this and like hand cream people are like no you need it it's fine it's like five boxes within the 100 and there's also people kind of like hopping in like oh my god like i am about to pull the trigger on this like luxury handbag and then so we would because the community everyone shares that pain and they understand right like there isn't the some other communities of trolls that is like well just fucking stop or like you know what's the problem with you like here is like no judgment zone like like we would just like cock each other out of it. It's like, oh, the zipper looked kind of weird. Or like, what are you going to use it for? So after like five <laughs> wise people are like, actually, I don't have a good reason. Okay, like, you know, like screw it. So I think like that's like the organic communities. And then you have like different topics that's related to like doing things or helping each other, right? So I, that's my experience of 
know, community goal. It's like start from a pain point. God, it's like a it's like a extreme pain point too. Like you have a real if you have a real challenge with shopping, like versus like oh yeah maybe I might want to talk to someone about it once in a while, but like like you actually or people other people are looking for that too. So pain point and then doing things besides picky. What's one of your favorite communities that you're a part of and why? Um, yeah, we talked a little bit about this. I'm a huge fan of Healthy Gamer GG, which is Dr. K's community. It's a lot of it is for gamers, right? But I find their content super helpful. Uh, I'm a very casual gamer, but I love, you know, just hearing the inner struggles about gamers and learning from, you know, how to combat some of these things. So that's my favorite community. They have, uh, I think a discord. I mostly hang out on their subreddit. Um, and they also have like a huge YouTube channel where they stream like therapy talks. Sometimes they break down, you know, Reddit posts. So highly recommend it. Valentin asks, my biggest question I have about community building right now is as a community grows, how do you make sure everyone is there for the right reasons? Yeah, so I'd say like two things. One is mm, when you when you're pretty clear about what this community is for, right? We talked about the pain point, the purpose. When you're pretty clear about that, when you go uh, share your community or like, promote your community, get members, it really drives the way you're um, delivering your message. And that message you communicate, like determines, a lot of times determines the quality of your members. Because imagine these two different scenarios. One is like some of these online scams, like, hey guys, like just join my NFT group. You're gonna, everybody will get like 10,000 coins if you join. Or like you have like this, you know, community. People are there, but they're there for the money or for the coins. So you, it's really hard to moderate, like get, get something healthy, right? And, or if you're giving away, like, hey, we're gonna do giveaways, like, this week, everyone who joins gets like a $25 Amazon gift card. That audience quality is not self-selecting. It's probably pretty bad. So it's like, okay, when you acquire your community members, like th the message is, you know, it's like, okay, I'm, you're targeting the people who have that common pain point. So if the message deviates from that, it's hard as you weave in more people because it, it's just going to go all over the place. So that, that's number one, I would say. Number two is the community, there's like a collective consciousness almost for the community, right? I, I feel like your community also grows. So for example, like uh, for the entrepreneurs community, like maybe at the beginning, like 95% of people are entrepreneurs, right? Like you are doing a lot of events with like real startup founders maybe they're like already raised their series a series b you like mm -hmm. bring in actual entrepreneurs but then over time as the membership shifts towards like maybe the bulk of it is actual entrepreneurs already there's like some people who are entrepreneurs some people are like i don't know like decided this is not for them then your content the topic does change and i think as a community owner you need to like kind of be aware of that that like communities are made of living and breathing people and you do advance together like and so the topic does change based on what the collective consciousness is at any given point in time 
So it's, so it's not like you just have one mission for the community or one purpose that's fixed. It can evolve with, it's based on what the people in the group need, not like yes. the original charter. Exactly. Or the other, the other thing that could be, so for example, the shopaholic, uh, anonymous community, we have grown together. We have curbed our shopping addiction. If you call it that way, because Reddit says shopping addiction. Say like most of us right now, we don't have a shopping addiction anymore. So sometimes it's like as a owner, could you bring more people who still have a shopping addiction into the group? Yes. And then you can like have the people who have like, gone to the other side like coach these newer people or this could become like a lifestyle group where people are helping each other's like find the right makeup like or like for example i don't i'm thinking of like maybe getting into like painting my nails this year for the first time i don't know like th these people have a lot of like expertise in terms of what brands to buy like how i actually do it so i think it's up to the community owner to decide whether you're like kind of like a school could be like a university you know how like every year you get groups of students coming in and you educate them and four years later they leave mm -hmm. or any kind of college high school or it could be like oh we're gonna be this group of people that, but we end up advancing you know something like that or like somewhere in between so so kind of like co you move with the cohort versus it's like a fixed thing that people move through interesting well if if you so if i'm hearing you correctly if you start with a pain point really extreme pain point, you find the right platform that fits what you want, whether it's like async, real time. Um, Could be video, audio, chat, you know, like Clubhouse is like audio, right? Like if mm -hmm. you feel like some, you know, if this is like a alcoholic therapy group that chats every Wednesday night, like you could have your community there. So it's like, what are you comfortable with? Well, like, let's say for me, right? If I want to start a community that helps creators, um, because I'm thinking through different things, right? Oh, maybe I should just go old-fashioned, do a Facebook group. It's real identity. Um, it's one feed, so there's a lot of interaction in case people aren't always like pinging. And then for me personally, I don't actually enjoy like tons of real time. It's like too much for me. It's overwhelming at times. <laughs> um, but like, how would how would how, what's your advice for like? Should I just try? Should I just try going to these different platforms and seeing how I like them, and then pick the best one, basically the one that fits the best. Yeah, like I would say maybe a good place to start is where, which platform you're most active on. So like mm. I've tried like being just like a member, right? Like because then you get a good sense of on being on the receiving end or like being a member of the community, what it feels like. Um, so if you are on Discord, you're like, well, this is too overwhelming. That's not what I want. Like, I feel like you would feel you find out which platform you gravitate towards the most. Like for me, when I found Reddit, I'm like, oh, I love this, like being anonymous. I love being able to go to sub, like oddly specific subreddits, right? To like, it's so specific. Like I don't like um, platforms that are very vague in general because then it is, takes too much time to dig, right? In TikTok, I don't enjoy watching it for too long. Like I do enjoy long form YouTube, like podcasts and stuff like that. That kind of short format is not for my brain. So I feel like, you know, if you feel very comfortable hanging out on this platform in this community, someone else's community, you then that's more organic. 
Got so it. you're not forcing yourself to choose a platform Got first. Got it. So it's more of like, where do I already hang out and what, what do I like? That's that's super helpful. <laughs> well, yeah, that you feel very comfortable, right? Because yeah. I hate, like, for example, I, I, I was going to say this, I hate LinkedIn uh, because it could be very triggering. Like when I see everyone being so successful, but then it's like inflated. Anyways, like when you meet people in person, you're like, whoa, like this person is not the same as what I see him on LinkedIn. <laughs> like, he seems very glorious on LinkedIn. But I do, like, sometimes, you know, I know if I know I get triggered, then I don't hang out on LinkedIn feeds nearly as much. Um, I would go to my own, like, founder groups uh, yeah. where everyone's real. It's like, you you know, some something is happening, like, partnerships fell through, like, all these real stuff. LinkedIn is like, every partnership goes through. Everyone <laughs> ends up raising a lot of money. You know, you're only seeing the good performative end. It's not it's not helpful for like the psyche, I think, all all the time. Yeah, I wrote a just wrote an a, example. I wrote you know, a song for my uh one of my alter egos where he he he's the hook is congratulations. I really hate you. <laughs> That's like the chorus. And I, it's like a parody song, but it, it popped in my mind when I went to LinkedIn once. But yeah, um <laughs> That's so for, funny. For like, question for you is like, one time I created a creator group for people with uh, more than a thousand subscribers so we could all help each other get to the kind of like from, you know, intermediate to a little more beyond that. And then someone from the class just started his channel and then he joined and he's like, hey, I'm not at a thousand subscribers, but uh, do you mind if I lurk and yeah. I'll just be uh, lurking quietly? Like, I ended, I wasn't sure what to do. I ended up just letting, because I, I don't like being exclusive. So I was like, let okay. him just chill. But then at the same time, I do get that's going to kind of water things down if you have a lot of people lurking and not engaging. So I guess, yeah, what, what would you have done based off of your experience? Yeah, so like, um, I think realistically, I see a lot of groups like start. So let me give you a very concrete example. Like, I'm a Lego lover and you know you have like at the beginning there's like Reddit there's like our Lego right and then as the sub grows really big it doesn't really if you're only interested in like medieval stuff or if you're only interested in Bionicles people go start their own thing like our Lego Bionicles right? like for me like I don't enjoy spending 500 bucks on a set like that's not sustainable for the starving artist, I I do mini Lego. So we do like fewer pieces that like you reuse your set, you take it apart, you can like make something else. So like a lot of the times where like if we're talking about like a longer time horizon view, I think you just have offshoots of group to keep the community high quality. Um, it's probably not realistic to have both quality and quantity at the same time. It is like much better. And same thing as like the Facebook group that I'm on, Rothy's, you know, it's like cute flats for ladies. I have two pairs. Um, but there's like the Rothy's addicts group where people have like 15, 30 pairs. There's like, it branches off into, um, there's like Rothy's Bigfoot, like for ladies who's like nine, size nine and above. Like you as a community owner, if you're the expert in Rothy's, for example, or Lego, you could like be owning or running like five different groups, but each group is like still like sticks to is like true 
purpose, right? Like, for example, Rothy is like, I mean, if I'm size 10, like a lot of stuff is just not applicable for me. So then like when I'm in the large group, I would feel that it's like watered down because most of the stuff I'm seeing is like, I can't get it anyway. So that's, that's my feeling of like, kind of like you start something, you branch out. If you want to maintain that quality, you kind of do break out small groups. And I've seen creators, um, like hire a team and then manage those like sub communities, but they're still like under like a big umbrella mission or something like origin or something. Yeah. So maybe I could have just politely said a, like here's the link to the other group, which probably is going to fit your needs better. And then. Yeah. I I think another thing you could do is like just uh, brainstorming. Not sure if this works. Just like, so like, it could be like, there's one channel be like sub 1000. And then when that channel gets really big, you spin off a different group. So that's my approach with like discord with like picky chat. If like, there's enough people only talking about handbags or something like, okay, maybe we need a separate group. But then it organically starts from a channel or like a few messages. When there's like more messages talking about a thing that our community is not currently talking about, I can create a channel for that because then you capture that. So you're expanding like that container if that topic becomes really big or a common pain point that you have not uncovered before. Yeah, and any any advice on like what's the uh, the ideal range of like how big a community could get before it needs to get split off? Like, is it is it good to just have ten people in a room? Is it good to have like fifty, hundred, ten thousand? Like, uh, what I've seen, and you know, like there's we're gonna get nerdy a bit, like the Dunbar number, like people cannot keep track of, or like the natural uh, circle of friends you can have is like hundred fifty people mm. or something like that. Mm. I feel like for um, high quality groups, like a few hundred seems like the right number. And it also has a lot to do with the, what I say, what I call the conversation velocity of the group. If you have like people, uh, saying a ton of stuff, like on average, then smaller group makes sense, right? Because as you grow the group, then everything is a huge mess. But then if this is like, oh, okay, like we're the type of group that like, we're fairly independent creators, but we still want to have a home. So we check in once a week. Then you can have probably like, I don't know, 500 people. So it has a lot to do with the actual use case. I, I want to say like, <laughs> for example, these like therapy groups, let's say like this is the uh, Asperger's or like autism or ADHD support group. The conversation velocity is so damn high, like it is so hard. So like probably it needs some sort of like format because like I think for therapy talks, yeah, you know, it's like, you know, yeah, so literally talking. like yeah. the volume of messages is like a thousand times like a normal other like, average community. But then, you know, that's cool because I think people are healing each other. People are really helping each other. So does that make sense? It's like very mm-hmm. nuanced depending on kind of your community yeah so so more i guess for creators i know a lot of a big use case a big pain point is like we all want to get feedback on our thumbnails or like feedback Mm. on titles or feedback on videos and you can go to reddit and then you can drop feedback and i think they have systems where you have you get one point for every you give feedback you get a point and then someone can give you feedback so they're trying to make it like a reciprocal system like any yeah any advice on like because I've, I've been a part of thumbnail feedback groups and then it usually becomes everyone just wants feedback. They want to take, but they don't want to give. Like, how do you, 
get that flowing more in a balanced way. Interesting. Okay. So yeah, like so basically what you're saying, I, I think I think some sort of system of social credit would be helping that to scale. Mm. Right. Otherwise it I can see that running into like the problem you're describing. There without a system, I think I think it's hard. I think that does require systematic thinking. And so you are picking. So like in Picky right now, we're building a poll feature. We do have like emoji voting stuff. Like it's not the ideal thing, but like you do see this pain point a lot of like, you know, if you're not keeping track, then like things just degenerate into everyone wanting to take and not wanting to give. Um, I think without such system, what you can do so like the things i've done before is like going back to our superpowers with spreadsheets i established some sort of like very external system and then manually track it or i use zapier to automate some of those things with like Airtable. um so i create a separate system or um i have some sort of like social tracking like oh so and so has been you know asking a lot like hey like you have someone tag them like hey what do you think like when someone is like asking for feedback. So it is like pretty manual. And I do think community owners deserve better tools. I think today's like when it comes to feedback, for example, I do think like if you can quickly chat there for like two, three minutes, it's so much helpful than like you post something and then maybe people are not responding for like three days. And then when they respond, you know, in the comment section, it's very broken. Mm -hmm. It's a very broken. And so you're looking for some like very short spurts of like, hey, like I just want to jump in, like have this feedback. Um, I'm going to do a dirty plug, like picky allows image. Like you can chat more in there. It's very easy to, well, like, which is something <laughs> I've seen that again, like having to build external spreadsheets for my community on Discord. This is nobody, we build like some budget tracker for how much stuff you bought. Like people are just like, Nobody wants to click into spreadsheets to log things, points. It, it does not. It, people don't like that. Hmm. And like, what is there any, do you have any sense on what's a, a general good range for um, the ratio of like contributors to, contributors to lurkers? Like I know with like Yelp, I, I've heard it's like, you know, it's like usually less than 10% are actually contributing and everyone's lurking. But like for an active, vibrant community, any sense on like a, a good ratio? Yeah, so that's the thing. I think that is like the general metric you see across, like same thing with Reddit, right? Like you have, I don't know, like just typical for only less than one-tenth of people actually generating content and like 90% more than that. It's just like lurking, just consuming content, not generating content. Um, I think with Reddit, karma points, all that stuff, it already helps a whole lot because people have like karma points. Um, but I think, and to give you some interesting metric, like for like picky, what we're seeing is like, you know, 70% of the people are actually like on a daily average, like you're producing content, but then the content production is just like chatting. You're actually participating in discussion. Um, I think it's where I think it's like, the ratio depends on, again, going back to the purpose of group. If you're trying to like, if this is something that is like one-on-one, -on -one, like on the two ends, there's a like one end is like you're sitting in a lecture hall 
in college, like your professor is like lecturing and you 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 can't really speak. Yeah. Right. Like it's like right. And then on the other end is like you're walking into a bar and everyone's like mingling. And that kind of so like the support group, I would example I would use like again like ADHD or like, you know, autism, where like people are just kind of like helping heal each other. Um so it kind of depends on like the what you're actually hoping to do with this group. Like you're educating people and that you're not trying to close feedback loop or like you're trying to have levers the power of the crowd to like really heal each other and stuff like that. Um, one thing that I love about chat format is it allows, it unlocks a lot more attention, which is the rare capital today, right? Like if I'm on TikTok, I'm just like, my attention is like hooked onto some videos, but mm -hmm. I could be giving my attention to some other human that's like in need or just like just having my attention is like, hey, you can do this or like, hey, what up? Like saying some random funny stuff. Like, you know what I mean? Like I, I do, I'm a believer of like people giving each other attention more than kind of giving eyeballs just to ads, like just to like some mm. temp, the five, 10% of the people yeah, give, shift because attention, attention is so valuable. But then mm. when you give attention to people is when you actually make behavioral, real behavioral changes in people. Like, mm. again, like the shopping group, right? I'm also in the um, autism groups on Reddit. So I, I really like the, because that's the only way, right? Like, if you just take a step back, we're just talking about natural human to human interaction. Like, social media take is taking a lot away from that. Like, the model of like one to many, it really maximizes like ads revenue, right? But then it's taking away that like one to one like human interaction or like humans like interacting with each other in a group type of thing, which is like really valuable, I think, like meaningful. Yeah, it's really interesting because like I was listening to Jack Conti, the the Patreon CEO, and he's talking about how as a musician, he had like fans coming up to him and they'd be like, dude, your song changed my life. And they feel like they know him so intimately, but he didn't, he just met them. And then with with creators, he's he was saying like, he's like, yeah, we ha basically have parasocial relationships or it's one to many. And I, for me as a creator, I'm, I'm still not sure how I feel about that because I like one-to-one. But at the same time, one like content helps you to connect with people or like at least impact or help people like on a bigger scale. But so my question would be is like, how do you scale that one-on-one -on -one interaction as a single person when there could be a lot of people? Yeah, I, I think so to be clear, I think like the one to many, like some creators are made for them, right? So mm -hmm. that's their they're not I think like some people are made for that. They love that. They're super good at that. And, you know, you can generate a lot of like attention, revenue, like that's good for them. Not all creators are like that or aspire yeah. to be that. Right. So I think it's like going back to who you think you really are and what you find meaningful. Um, for me, like I think one really important thing about running a community is making sure no one is left behind or everyone has some benefit being in this, being a part of this community. So they could be not a part of this community, right? Versus like being here, 
this part of the community. So like, what are they really getting? Um, again, using a very concrete example, like for the um, mini Lego sub I run on Reddit, like we have weekly build contests where like some people, they really love like building at a high frequency, like creating new things, like they end up posting stuff and then the members see that, that that's like really high quality content, right? But then you're like, as a community owner, you're giving people a purpose. Like, uh, I pick a community member, I invite them to name one theme word, and then the rest of people that build for that word. And then we have the entire community vote on who built the best. So then you kind of like, you see layers of like, okay, like some people really love building, some people just love seeing things, but then they can vote so then they can determine like you know who's like first place and all that stuff so like you kind of like scale that based on member engagement level right and does that help that's like yeah very yeah, concrete yeah so example. people that actually curate like the posting they share the picture then there's but then everybody that was watching can actually still be a part of it by by voting so there is still like everyone's involved yeah, and we're thinking of like doing something even cooler. So like if they vote on it, we could actually make some of the designs into like real kits and then everyone can buy them or like maybe a small amount. So then you kind of like, again, like you're having like very different levels of engage engagement, but everyone can be engaged, making it very easy to engage and their vote means something tangible, right? Like they can alter the fate of that entry or whatnot. And people are just like, go nuts, like, lots of questions and like, hey, debating the rules, like this is not fair. Like, you know, you can't use like digital fake parts, whatever. And so that's like engagement, right? But then everyone feels like very involved. If you're, I, I think like the non-ideal scenario is like, if I just like say, oh, like, you know, leave it as is. like people can post when they have something, people don't post when they don't have anything. Mm -hmm. Just leave it as like, you know, free running, then the quality and engagement wouldn't be nearly as high. And like we're growing a lot because everyone has something to engage in the community. Professor Gold asks, would you suggest a weekly webinar with Q&A? I'm a huge fan of, um, you know, I'm a huge fan of like giving people what they need and what they want in the moment. I think like we're like what one reason why I really hated school back then when we grew up is like you are dumped, you know, a lot of knowledge gets dumped on you. You're like, okay, when am I going to ever use this like piece of knowledge in the future versus like when people actually have a need of like, oh, I have this question coming up and then you give the answer like versus just like long like lecture or tons of books. So yeah, no, I feel like, you know, whatever format it is, like if people, if the com community member or like the participant is initiating that question, then like the answer, it, it's just like much more helpful, right? Because that's a, there's a need and then you're fulfilling that need. Cool. Thanks for the question, Professor Gold. Um, so moving on to just uh, you, like some practical tips, what would you say would be the practical tips for any creator, any entrepreneur that's feels stuck? They want to unlock the talent that they have inside. They want to maximize their output. Like any quick tips for that, that they can apply? I think, like, I don't know if this answers the question. One thing I noticed was about maximizing output, like creative output, is about getting to some sort of 
consistency. So like I noticed it, it feels really different if you're doing creative work on the side. So like when I was at DCM, I have like, I do drawings on the weekends, whatever I sh sometimes like I show them to people in the office. That's like not really no pressure, no consistent output needed. Like nobody even asked for my painting, like doesn't matter. Versus like if you're wanting to become a professional creator, it's like, okay, now we're talking about surfing your emotions, right? Becoming really good at surfing your emotions. And the game you play, like, at least like for me, I notice is like creating safety, like creating safe box for yourself to stay in. Because when you don't feel safe, when you feel insecure, anxious, the creative work just like gets clogged up a lot. Um, and then number two is like, I heard this from healthy gamer, Dr. K and I'm like, okay, bingo, that makes so much sense. So it's like boredom. So consistent creativity, like how do you position yourself to be optimally creative? Safety, boredom. When you feel safe and then you're kind of bored, but instead of turning to TikTok, you're like so bored and you're like, ah, now mm. I want to create something. When you're not safe, you're just anxious. When you're not bored, like you're so occupied, right? Like when you're like, I need to file my company taxes. Where the hell was that expense receipt? You're just like constantly busy, but you can't really be creative. So I think the secret sauce is like creating safety and boredom for you and like consistently, right? And then that breaks down to sub like action. So like if I have no money in the bank, I'm not feeling safe, okay, I need to create like everyone has their different level of like comfort, mm -hmm. right? So some people can be comfortable with like three months of savings in the bank or something like, you know, sometimes like people need longer. So I, I like, I think pushing yourself to feel comfortable it is an uphill battle, right? So it's just like practicing how to build that like safe box for you. Sometimes like it's just about like, am I safe right now? Am I safe in the next three days? Am I safe in the next three weeks? Like for me, I've gone to like, if I'm safe in the next, like, I don't know, like three weeks, I feel pretty comfortable. It used to be three years or like, you know, three months. And that I just know that I need to go out to first build my safe box. That's like part of building. It is a part of doing creative work because like, all the hard work, like the boring shit that goes into building that safe box is goes into like empowering you to be that creator. I love that. And I, that's, I like how you touched on the, the money aspect, because I think even for me, just thinking about, oh, running down savings to be a creator or a musician, it's like my threshold, I've developed more, uh, I've become more comfortable with it, but it still gives me anxiety. Like, and I think for a lot of people that are either in their jobs, they want to keep working it and then doing their creative thing on the side until it takes off. Like, do you have any advice there? Like, would you, would you stay in a job and keep that safety and then do your creative work on the side until it kind of is sustainable or would, or do you feel more pulled towards just taking the jump? Like, and I know it varies for everybody, but I'm curious, like for you, what, what you would uh, be pulled to. Yeah, I think this is such a personal thing, right? Yeah. Like, there's no way. Like, I was reading some like um, therapy related book. Like, there's no way you can actually lie to yourself. You can lie to other people, but you can't really lie to yourself. Like, when you lie to yourself, you just know, and then your anxiety level is like up, right? So, 
it's so I think for someone trying to become creator like full-time or like like a bigger capacity just kind of getting into it's helpful to get into that like like okay let me just be honest with myself like am I gonna feel comfortable having three months or like six months and when your body tells you like oh I'm actually comfortable with this that's like when you know you that's your personal box I think everyone and I think it's important to the reason why I call it a box is it is very clear and defined, right? Like money in the bank is very clear and defined as <laughs> a number. And my credit card debt is also a number, right? Like, so once you fi- find your like, you know, boundary, like the safe box that you feel safe, then it's good. Like yep. for some people, if you're very comfortable with like three days and then otherwise you just hop in a DoorDash, like Uber or so- something, you can probably start tomorrow because your safe box is there. Versus like some people who have like maybe like families to support, you know, like maybe your 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 safe box is probably different, right? From people who are willing to like who can have the luxury to jump into Uber, like drive Uber for like, you know, three days or five days or peak hours to actually just like make that work. Um I, I know that's kind of vague, but I feel yeah, yeah. like the framework is more helpful to the audience, maybe. Nice. Yeah. Super helpful. Super helpful. I it's funny you mentioned the Uber stuff. Like I remember being in LA and I was hanging out with my friend that was at Uber and then her coworker was leaving Uber and he, he's like, I'm going to go to SF to start a company. And then he basically like moved and then he found his co-founder like that weekend. And then <laughs> this is like the upside case, but he started Lug, which has been doing pretty well. Like nice. crazy. I was like, dude, that's, that's like balls to the wall, like risk. And he made it happen. Well, yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's like that, that, safe box for him is like you know and i think like that always like fluctuates too like i remember during covid times like my safe box is like i need to push the walls outside a little bit because then because i don't know like seeing people dying and then some people i know you know it's just like whoa like so based on your feeling Mm. you know at the time Mm -hmm. or that juncture chapter of your life super helpful well um quick rapid fire uh so who's your favorite startup founder? Randomly, it's Ben Horowitz because I read his book, uh, The Hard Things About Hard Things, and he's just so unlucky being a founder, but he's, <laughs> I love the book. Doing the hard work. Nice. Besides, besides DCM, who are your favorite VC investors? Um, I love my uh, two of my current uh, investors. One is Nico Bonazzos from General Catalyst. He's invested in lots of quirky startups. He's also an immigrant from Europe and just amazing all around. Um, and Charles Hudson from Precursor Ventures. Their uh, pre-seed seed uh, firm backs lots of minority uh, founders, immigrant founders, neurodivergent founders. So I, I really love them. And DCM Oske Honda has been amazing all along. So yeah. Yeah, Oske is the man. Um, favorite online resources for entrepreneurs? I think YouTube. I learned, I self-taught like a lot of stuff, like most of stuff from YouTube. If you have a need, some man is going to teach you like how to change my light bulb, including. So Yep, you, the old University of YouTube. What's your favorite software as a that you use as a founder? 
Figma is absolutely my favorite. Like being able to design online on the web, like no more Adobe desktop software. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah, since you... years ago, like I love Figma. Yeah. Favorite Sorry, book? Adobe. No, yeah. Favorite book you read in the last year? Um, it called, it's called What My Bones Know. It's about recovering from complex PTSD. It was recommended to me by another female founder, very strong woman I respect and love. Um, it, you know, for me having some trauma to work with, just, you know, to work through, like the book was amazing. Again, it's called What My Bones Know uh, by Stephanie Fu. Awesome. And favorite course, um, if you've taken any of this last year? I've not taken any structured course. No. Cool. Um, if your place was burning down, what three things would you grab first? I, it's going to be boring. My phone, my wallet, and my emergency backpack. I'm ready to go. Nice. Not the keys. I, I was, was going to think phone wallet. Oh, my, my place doesn't have keys. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, favorite quote or a, a quote you like? I, I'm probably going to butcher this. It's Carl Jung said something like, the most terrifying thing is to accept oneself completely. And so that's my favorite. Wow. If you could jump into a time machine and go to any place for 30 minutes uh, or time, well, who would you talk to? I would probably go back in time to talk to my dad when his childhood trauma happened and just like tell him everything's okay. Wow. Um, in terms of like just takeaways, uh, are, is there anything else you think our audience out there should think about based off of our conversation? I think it's just simply, not simply, this is hard. Love yourself and know that you, you will be, you can be, you will be the number one, the best at being yourself. Nobody can beat you. And so I think that's like one of the key things to know. Got it. And uh, yeah, what's, I know like Picky Chat is on the App Store, the Apple App Store. Um, yeah. What's the best way for people to connect with you and learn more about Picky? So as a part of this podcast, I just created a new group called um, The Inner Creator, like co-invited with what we talked about this, right? So yep. if you, anyone wants to come chat, I am Mercury on in that group and in some other groups. So I'm, I'll share the link. Um, and then my email is just mercury at pickychat.com. Um, people can email me. Sorry, we don't have Android. We're working really hard for it. Um, so, got to fight for the green bubble. <laughs> okay, awesome. Well, thank you so much, uh, Mercury, for joining us. I know this was like a really long, deep conversation. We covered a lot, and I think I really appreciate you just being super sincere about you know all the experiences you've had and just being a, a founder and a creative and community builder, like. You've been through a lot and then you've seen a lot. And then I just really appreciate you sharing that with the whole audience, like everything you've learned. So, well, thank yeah. you. I mean, we didn't make each other cry today. So that's uh, maybe a reserve for later. I, I I feel like there are some points where like we kind of are on the verge of like, oh my God, if we keep up, we're going to cry. <laughs> that's the but, name. Um, the podcast title retitled The Devastating Moments of yes. the Creative Journey. <laughs> Anyways, well, thank you so much. This has been fun and I hope it's helpful. Keep up the uh, good fight.
Thanks a lot for listening to The Inner Creator with Peter Sue. If you're enjoying our podcast, please show us your support by leaving a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. If you want more creator and business tips, be sure to subscribe to us at youtube.com slash petersue and follow us on TikTok and Instagram at Peter J. Sue. Keep creating from the inside out and have an awesome day.